Last week, I, I thought PJ did a great job talking about, uh, you know, your salvation and giving, giving us scripture to help us understand the assurance that we have in Christ. From there, he took us to John chapter 1. He talked about the evidence of the Spirit in our lives. For that reason, I'm going to kind of piggyback off of him today. I want to talk more about what the Spirit is doing in our lives and that sort of thing. So if you would, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And as you are, you might have noticed my shirt. If you haven't and you maybe can't read it, I'll read it to you. It says, Elder Ish, some, somewhat old and elderly, that's not the, uh, but number two is in the process of becoming an elder. So I'm part of a GC, and a couple weeks ago, what happened is uh, McDade mentioned that I was going through the elder process, and so my GC started calling me Elder Ish. Yesterday was my birthday, and they gave me a shirt that says Elder-ish, but they weren't finished. Apparently, they didn't talk to each other too well because I got a second shirt that said Elder-ish. But tell them what else they won, Bob. I also got something to set on my desk that says Elder-ish. See if this works. We're going to try that today, all right? So, um, I love my GC. They are awesome-ish. Um, <laughs> that's not a good sign. Um, with that being said, I, I think that we have a problem here in the South a lot. And... Problem is, we are so used to Christian that some of us believe we're Christian when we're just Christian-ish. What I mean by that is, we know the parts to play, we know the words to say, we, we even go to church sometimes just because it's the thing to do. But our lives have no evidence of Christ being a part of them. In Colossians here, it's very clear about what God expects of us. So let's read. It says, if then. So there's an if then, and I put the scripture on the screen that we've got to turn back to. So go back now, you're at chapter 3 of Colossians, go back to chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 13 and 14. And with that, Colossians chapter 1 talks about the preeminence of Christ, that Christ is most important, Christ is the greatest, he is the focal point, this is non-negotiable if you are a Christian, this is the most important thing, Christ is number one. But then in chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and, un, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
If you are a Christian in this room, that means Christ is preeminent in your life. That also means now that you are made alive in Christ. If you have been justified by the legal demands that were on you before. But that's only if you're a Christian, right? Exactly what PJ was telling us last week, that we have this confidence as a Christian to know that we are secure in the saving power of Jesus Christ. This is justification. That Christ's righteousness blankets over us to where God sees Christ's righteousness and not our own. And here's the good thing. When you come to Christ, it happens instantly. Instantly, you move from death to life, from stranger to God to son and daughter of God. From guilty to innocent. Justification is positional holiness. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. You receive it just because Christ decides to give it to you. And thank God for that, right? Three of you. Thank God for that, right? Amen. All right. So let's look in chapter 3, further than the first two words. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked, but you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that God has put the old self with its, that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put then as God's chosen ones holy and believe. Put on then as God's chosen, chosen ones holy and beloved. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one another has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect, perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs, psalms and hymns, and spiritual, psalm, spiritual songs with thankfulness 
in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father, through him. What is this section of Scripture talking about? It's talking about the second stage of our Christian walk. The stage that everybody in this room is a part of right now if you are in Christ. If you're in Christ at all, this is the spot you're in. You don't move out of it until one of two things happen. Either you die or Christ returns, right? This is called sanctification. Everybody say that, sanctification. sanctification. All right. What is sanctification? It's a result of receiving the holiness of Christ through justification is one side of it. But what happens with that is it creates different desires, different motivations. The definition is a transformative, prog progressive path that is leading us to a perfected holiness that will be our glorification. More simply, easy enough, you can remember this one. This is growing in Christ. Now, what I see in the, these scriptures, I'm going to call my shots. You can follow along with me if you want. Four things I see. Number one, union with Christ. Number two, vivification. Country boy from Dyersburg said that. You're going to play along later. Um, thirdly, mortification. And fourthly, community. So let's get into it. Verse 1. Look there with me. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If you are in Christ, you have been united with Christ. You are in union with Christ right at this very moment. We must understand this means and get it in our souls. It's not talked about a lot. Our union with Christ. As a Christian, you have a location change. You are not the same. Notice what this says. If you have been raised with Christ. I know a lot of times what, what we do is, as Christians, we're easy to look back and thank God for what he has done in the past. But understand, you are active now in what Christ has done. You are active in what he is doing because you are in union with Christ. And because of that, all the spiritual blessings that are true for us come through the connection and relationship we have with Christ. Christ was raised. And because Christ was raised, we've been raised with him. Is because now you have a change in your nature. Your status has been changed. You are not what you once were. Your motives before were all about who? You. All about you. But now it's changed. And if we fail to miss the fact that we are in union with Christ, two things happen, especially when we talk about sanctification. And I want to be very clear that these two are not an option for a Christian. Okay? 
Number one, lawlessness. Some of us believe that we can live like we want, ignore that there is a king on the throne. This is not a biblical picture of salvation at all. I love what R.C. Sproul said, and I'm going to quote him because I don't want you to hear it coming from me because it might sting a little. It is impossible for a person to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit and not care at all about their sin. If you just want to dwell in your sin, I have to question the fact that whether you're really saved or not, whether you're in a relationship with Christ or not, whether the union has actually taken place. The term used for this is carnal Christian. And this is what I'll say about that. That term, that word, that description doesn't exist. It's not a real thing. It's more than an oxymoron. It can't happen. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian. So on that side, we have to be careful to push away the idea that we can just live like we want. But what we also have to push back on is legalism. Where God saves you, Christ did the work to save you, but it's not him who keeps you. So where you try to do everything you can to try to earn back what you were saved with. The problem is when you do this, it's just as equally wrong and equally as evil as the one who is lawless. Because what you're telling Christ is he is not enough. You miss the one who is on the throne just like the one who lives a lawless life. And if we are focusing on Christ because we are raised with Christ, then what, that ha- what we do is we look to him only as our author and perfecter of our faith. And what happens is if I become a Christian who I am working to earn my way, then it's really easy for me to become prideful. It's really easy for me, and and I don't know if you've ever seen some of these Christians because I've seen them in my life. I've, I've pastored some of these, and here's, here's what I know about them. They're miserable human beings because no matter what they do, no matter how much they try to work, they cannot do it on their own, and they get frustrated, and it's easy to just want to give up if this is what you're trying to do, to trying to earn something back because you can't achieve your salvation. You can't. You can't even pay it back. And what ends up happening is this Christian also doesn't have compassion for others because you've just not worked as hard as I have. However, if you are in Christ, you are in union with Christ, you have a different address now. You are not of this world anymore. The world is not your own. So I get what's happening, right? Like you're looking at this, you're saying, all right, you tell me to avoid sin, and, and, but it's not about keeping the rules. What in the world are you talking about? I am so glad you asked. Because we have to realize before we move forward and look into what this 
cost you, we have to understand the only way to sanctify, to be sanctified is in Christ. Christ is the sanctifier. You cannot sanctify yourself. You cannot make yourself better. If I am looking anywhere but Christ, then I'm going to completely miss it. And I want to be crystal clear. Sanctification is not a part of your salvation. It is the fruit from it. I want to say that again because I want you to hear me loud and clear. Sanctification is not a part of your salvation. It is the fruit that comes from your salvation. So do you have a personal responsibility? Absolutely you do. And what does this look like? Let's look back in Colossians chapter 3. Let's start in verse 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What we call this is vivification. So, we're going to try it with everybody. Vivification. Repeat after me. I apparently didn't make that clear. Okay, let's try this again. Repeat after me. Vivification. Vivification. All right, here, real simple, theological term. So here's what it means. The pursuit of God. I know, why didn't you just say that, Kyle? <laughs> Romans 2, verse 12, verse 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. Colossians here says, set your mind on things that are above. I have to set my mind on the things of God. There is shaping that happens when I set my mind on the things of God. The only way to, that you can really do this is to know your Word. So know your word. I'm going to tell you, if you're a Christian and you're not in your Bible, here's the problem about conforming to and, and focusing on the things of God is you don't know what they are. You don't know who he is. How are you going to be, how are you going to take shape in the image of Christ when you don't really know what he looks like and who he is? The word is what is going to, what, what Christ uses to shape your life and to sanctify your life. God breathes life into Adam and Eve in Genesis, right? Scripture tells us all scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16 is God breathed. And if that's the case, what God uses, he uses scripture to breathe into the dead parts of your life to bring life to them. That's what he does. It's not reading scripture to manipulate it to say what I want it to. I've seen that done too many times. But it's reading scripture for actually what it is. And what this does is it, and it stirs my feelings, my affection for the things of God. Working or walking the, Christ, the Christian walk always seems impossible. It was just a list of things to do. 
However, if we focus on the one who is the sanctifier, then he starts to trans transform our mind. He starts to transform our behaviors. So my question is, are you pursuing the things of God? Are you in your word? Are you allowing the Spirit to lead you? And here's the beauty of some of this. Some of you have been a Christian for a very long time. And the things you used to struggle with, you probably don't struggle with near like you used to. But what I've learned in, in my walk with God is there are sins that I, I didn't know I had before, but I did, that God has revealed to me now. And honestly, what I tell you is this is grace of God, that he didn't throw it all on me at one time because I would have been overwhelmed. I've been overwhelmed by my, by, by my sinfulness. I would have been overwhelmed by the weight of this. But as you grow in your faith and as you look to Christ, you start to see the weight of your sin. And as you see the weight of your sin, you start to realize the beauty more and more for what Christ has done for you. And that love just starts to develop more and more and more. That's why Christ says, for him that has been forgiven much, loves much. The love for Christ should be nurtured in your life as you see and understand the weight of your sin and as you, as you want to reject those things. Again, if you desire to keep all the sin in your life, I have to wonder where your motives are. I have to wonder if you're saved. I have to wonder if you're in union with Christ at all. It's kind of weighty, I know. So we're just going to move on. Colossians 3, verse 5. Look there with me. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetous, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once too walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put a new self or, and put on your on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek. And Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and in one if one has a complaint with one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called one body, and be thankful. 
brings me to word number three. Mortification. All right. You did it before. Let's try it again. All right. I'm going to rep- make it clear. I'll say it. You repeat it. Okay. Here we go. Mortification. Mortification. See, that one's even easier. What this means is put to death. Put to death. I want to show a picture real quick here, if I can. There we go. Scripture here is names a few items off, right? What you'll notice is the first five that it names, I mean, I, I know it gets weighty and uncomfortable, but we, we hit them hard very first thing, right? Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. But we don't stop there with it. He, he talks about what comes out of your mouth. See, sin a lot of times takes root in the heart, and then sin comes out as you walk through this life. How do we see that? In anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Do not lie, right? But he doesn't just stop there. Paul says you take this off, you kill this, you put this, and you put this other on, which is what the the Holy Spirit does in your life. It brings compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And how do we see that flow out of you? You endure, you forgive, and you love. This is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Romans 8.13 says this. For you, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. If you want more on how to do this, I I encourage you to read a book. It's, It's called, real simple, Mortification of Sin. It's by John Owen. Famous Reformed Puritan. But I love the way that Matt Chandler calls this. He calls this grace-driven effort. There's an effort that we have to put in of killing our sin. And I want to be clear, a lot of us think we can just subdue sin, right? We can just keep it over here and tap into it when we need to. We, we don't really want to kill it. We don't want to get away from it. But Scripture is very clear. You have to kill sin. And I'll tell you this. If sin is in your life, it takes several bullets to put it down. Why? Because we are human. We have a propensity to lean in on sin. However, the more times I try to put it to death, the more times I'm able to say later on, I actually don't desire that anymore. Hopefully, if you're a Christian in this room, you have that same testimony for you. I used to desire these things, and now they kind of make me sick. I used to be all about this, but now I don't want any part of that. I hope that's a part of your life, because it should be a part of your life as you are a Christian, as you are sanctified, as you are being sanctified, going through the process of sanctification. I don't want that part of me anymore. There are obvious sins that we saw that 
have to be put to death. But what I've noticed in my life, or there are things in my life that might not be a sin, but kind of push me further away from Christ than I need to be. Maybe you've noticed them in your life. I mean, some of these things I probably don't find in Scripture. Some of these things I, I, you're not going to read, but I, I can ask this question to you. To help you notice what they are. What are stealing your affections for Christ? What are stealing your affections for Christ? And I can tell you what mine tends to be. All transparency here. Mine tends to be busyness. I get so busy sometimes, and I, 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 I'm always doing something, always trying to find something to get into. And then I get into it, and then I'm too busy then to do anything else, right? Like, like this, is, this is Kyle. This is uh, here, complete exposure here in front of everybody. I'm only elderish, guys. And so, like, <laughs> as this is going, like, like, here I am in front of everybody. But still, busyness keeps me away sometimes from Christ. What is your busyness that's keeping you away? Maybe it's not busyness for you. Maybe it's something else. What, what is that thing that is keeping you away from creating a, a stronger, more tight relationship with Christ? And here's my second question with that. Are you willing to kill it? Are you willing to try to kill it? I didn't know if I would share this story tonight, today or not because I didn't know if these people would attend. But I have these people who used to come to my church before. This is what you need to know about me. I hate snakes. Hate them. Can't stand them. Big worms make me nervous. Like, I, I, I don't care. I'm not even comfortable around dead ones. Don't show me the dead one. I don't want to see it. I want it dead, but I don't want to know, right? I've got a written rule. I don't care. Don't tell me your story later. i got a written rule. Any snake that comes into my yard deserves to die. I don't look and see. I understand some of you are animal lovers, and I just, you just cringed a little bit. Let me ask you a simple question, all right? Where would we be today if Adam would have killed the snake? Okay. Let's go even further. If Noah would have killed the snakes instead of letting them on the ark, would Israel have been bitten by them? No. I'll move on. Um, so I had these people in my church who raised snakes. Now, for anybody questions, they did not bring them to church. <laughs> but they raised snakes. And, and the lady, sweet lady, sweet lady, talked about how they just kind of, a few of them just moved around the house. And there was one time, one time when she was sick, she told a story about how the snake realized she was sick. And to comfort her, it wrapped around her neck and just hugged her. I, if I'm lying, I'm dying, okay? Here's the deal. That ain't happening to me. You know why? 
Because the snake that wraps around your neck is that close to killing you. Why would I ever let a snake that can kill me take shape like it's going to? Right? That doesn't make sense to me. When she told me, I just shook. Like it, How gross is that, right? But here's what we do when we don't try to kill our sin. We allow that thing to wrap itself around us and take shape like it's ready to kill us. So instead of playing with our sin, as a Christian, we're called to kill it. Protect yourself. Give yourself boundaries. Jamie and I have a written rule. Not written. A discussed rule. She doesn't get in the car with another man alone. I don't get in the car with another woman alone. Now, you might not have that rule. That's fine. Whatever you do, it's up between you and God with that. However, I don't want to be tempted. I don't want anything to lead to something else. We try to protect our marriage. Why? Because it's easy in this life. And men, let me tell you, if you're not killing your sin, you're making it exposed to your whole family. As men, you should be leading the charge to show what sanctification should look like in your life. Because your family's watching and they're following you. And those secret sins that we don't kill, that we don't think anybody knows, I promise you your kids know more than what you ever thought. And I'm not bashing you because I am one too. Set yourself some boundaries. Guard what you hold dear. Ephesians 4.27 says, Give no opportunity to the devil. Let's continue reading. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the, of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Last point, community. <laughs> Everybody repeat community. Some people beat you to it. Um, sanctification needs to be done in community. I'm going to repeat that. Sanctification needs to be done in community. Why? Because no one ever thinks they're selfish when they're by themselves. You ever had a problem being too selfish when you're the only one eating something? No one ever thinks they're too negative. Unless someone around them says, you might not need to be so negative. It's when we practice sanctification together that we see the greatest growth and strength within the confines of community. I'm happy you're here this morning. I really am. I'm glad you're, you're here at the church. I'm glad you show up on Sundays. But I'm going to let you know something very clear. If you're not a part of a GC, you're missing the beauty of what community is supposed to be. 
You're missing the beauty. In my GC, we eat together. We share together. We pray together. And we serve together. It's what it's supposed to look like. However, what I'm most proud of as a GC leader is the growth that I'm seeing in individuals within our GC. And I'm convinced of this. If they only come on Sunday mornings, they wouldn't be where they are today. I'm convinced of that. I mean, I could call them out, I could name them to you, but for no means would I do that to embarrass them. So my question with that is, have you joined a GC? Have you made that a priority? Listen, I know your life's busy. I get it. If, you're, if, if you have a high schooler, maybe even middle schooler in the room, this is what I know. You're chasing them. I feel like I'm two things with my kids. This is God's honest truth. Two things with my kids right now. I know it's the stage of life they're in. It's two things. Number one, I'm a taxi cab, and number two, a wallet. That's all I am to my kids sometimes. I understand what it's like to be busy. I understand what, what, what it's like to be, to, to be hectic all the time. But what I'll tell you is what you make time for is your priority. And community actually shapes you in a way that you cannot do by yourself. And here's why, here's why. Because Scripture never talks about individualized Christianity. It never talks about it. Never alludes to it. For some reason in this Western culture, we've gotten to where we believe that Christianity is, is just an inward thing all by myself. And if you're doing it that way, you're doing it wrong. I mean, I, I love live stream. Don't pull the camera in like Scott does, but I love it. And sometimes that's the only way that you can be a part of something. Like if, if, if you're sick and, and that sort of thing, I get that. But if you can find a way into the body of believers, that's what you're called to do. That is the part of the process of sanctification. I think the biggest lie of the enemy is that you're in this thing alone. And the more and more you're around the church, and I'll say this, the church is not an I, it's a we. We are the church. The more you're in the church, the more you'll grow, the more you'll love, are you still going to sin? Absolutely. Here's what I also tell you. There is not a perfect church. I might never take off the ish with this, but we're not a perfect church. It's messy. Church is messy. Why? Because we're all still struggling with the same life. We're all still struggling with sin. We're all still struggling with the fact that we're trying our best to make it. And here's the irony of it. We come here and somebody reads scripture to tell us we're not there yet. 
So we're all here with our, all our problems getting exposed by the gospel, and then we're going to have a relationship with each other. Those open wounds are going to cut sometimes. There's going to be moments where I'm probably not going to get along with all of you. And I promise you, ask my wife, there's going to be moments where you're not going to like me. But that's part of it. It's part of it. It's part of growing together. And I've seen for years growing up in church, people move from one church to the next church to the next church because they're looking for that perfect recipe church. And if you find it, it's not church, it's a cult. What I can tell you, though, is as we grow together and we practice grace-driven effort, the Spirit does the work within you to change you, to sanctify you. You're going to continue to grow. You're going to continue to struggle. And then you'll move to continuing to grow and continue to struggle. And then you're going to move to continue to grow and continue to struggle. But you're not alone. We're doing this together to the point to where someday we stand before Christ. And when we stand before Christ, we see Christ in all of his holiness face to face for the first time. And here's the thing. As we struggle in this life, we're coming to a place where when we stand in front of him, we will be holy just as he is holy. And that's mind-boggling to me. That's the glorification process that I'm never going to achieve it here. But somehow on the other side, I get to be holy. Without blemish. Not because I've done anything. But because he has. Man, if you're married in this room, I'm going to just tell you, you uh, outkicked your coverage. I don't want to know, like, if you think you're pretty or whatever, but I'm just telling you, like, you outkicked your coverage. I can prove it to you. Like, you, you remember that moment that you were in your wedding day, right? Back doors open. The bride is comes in, your wife comes in, and you're like, wow, that's mine. I guarantee you're probably thinking, too, how did I pull that off? <laughs> wow. Christ calls us his bride. And as he does, as messy as we are, as many problems as we have, as big a struggle as this is, someday we're coming to a place where when he sees you, I know what you're thinking. You're gonna, you think he's going to see all the shame and stuff you feel. That's not what he sees. He sees the beauty of him in you as he lays eyes on you. 
And just like us men, wow, look at you. I don't understand it. I'm just thankful for it. That I know this is tough, but we're moving to a place that we're someday on the other side. Thank God this is life is a vapor because it's hard, right? Thank, thank God that this is, this, is, this is just temporary because it's hard, but we're coming to a place to where we can stand before God fully holy because he's done the work for us. See, maybe you're in this room today and you have said several times, man, I, I just got to get this part of me cleaned up and then I'll come to Christ. And if you've said that in this room, you've missed the picture and the beauty of the gospel. Justification comes in the middle of your mess. Sanctification doesn't come to you're already a believer. Stop trying to clean yourself up. You can't. You can't achieve that. You can't clean yourself up. You need a Savior. And once you get him, you'll need a sanctifier. Today, let Christ rescue you from, from your sin. If you're a believer already, this is what I'm going to tell you. And, and you feel like you're just struggling with your sins. Welcome to the party. We all are. You're not alone. But we work together. We fight this together. We kill the sins, every opportunity we get. We focus on Christ and Christ alone because we're connected to him. Let's pray.